Hey everyone, it's Jack. I am just here to let you know that this episode is a little different. Jason and I could not meet to make a new episode this week, so this is one of the first two episodes we ever recorded and never released because they were a little rough. I uh, just wanted to let you know that this one is about the cabinet selection of the president's cabinet. There's a couple of outdated information things in there, specifically like, hey, you can watch this confirmation hearing on this day. I mean, those days have very long since passed. It's over a month ago. You can go look them up on YouTube if you're still interested, but the world's kind of moved on. We'll move on again next week. So yeah, that's it for now. I hope you enjoy this classic episode of The Devil Wears Pravda. I think facts started when it all started. It's always okay to punch a Nazi. You're telling me that I can use this phone for more than checking Facebook and Grindr on the go? Fuck you and fuck Mars. Things are the best they've ever been. So the only way to go is down. Oh, I built a straw man argument. Here's the thing, though. This shit still stinks. So that's when, that's when women's rights really mattered was back then. A podcast by the people, for the people, and of the people. Awesome. Hey, uh, welcome to The Devil Wears Pravada. Is that how we pronounce that, Jason? Pra- Pravda. Pravda. I believe it's Pravda. Pravda. I, I need to change everything I've written already. <laughs> you had an extra A in there? Yes. I am Jack. And I'm Jason. And this is a kind of civics lesson podcast, a little bit, right? Yeah, I would say, um, it, you know, you could call it like a refresher course, or for a lot of people, including, you know, myself in some capacities, it's all new information. Um, but uh, yeah, just, you know, an opportunity for us to revisit the important topics that uh, are surrounding all of us that maybe we just don't know about and would like to know about. And we figured a great time to start it would be at the start of a new like presidential period. And I mean, I, I think it, you know, I might be venturing out here to say that the nation's a little divided. I don't think there's been a big, what, what there hasn't been a big uproar. Hold on. You are just blowing my mind right now. That, that might be jumping the gun. That's not fair, but I feel like it has highlighted uh, a glaring issue in the fact that a lot of people don't know what the hell they're talking about, but they like to talk really loud about it. So uh, I think, you know, one of the issues you see here um, is we're a culture that, digests and gets all their information from memes and silly posts that you can like and share that you don't have to research you don't have to look into it's conveniently packaged you know it's like mcdonald's giving you a new cheeseburger and telling you there's food in it you don't know there's food in it but it's wrapped it's ready to go you can drive up to a window and get it and go and uh sometimes it's not good for you and i think when you have social media which gives everyone a platform it's not necessarily a good thing that everyone has an opinion they can share if the information they're sharing is wrong and they take pride in that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's safe to say if you have Facebook, you have... Which we both do. We both do. Uh, you have access to the internet. You have access... You probably, in your pocket, you have an amazing device that can access things besides porn and Amazon. Uh, you could... Hold on. Hold on a I'm second. Not, I'm not saying those are more important. I'm just saying it can do other things. It can even play... You're telling me that I can use this phone for more than checking Facebook and Grindr on the go? That's true. You can do... You you can Google things and learn things at any point in the day. You know, uh, and I think if you see something online that uh, doesn't quite add up, 
then you kind of have a responsibility if you have that power to figure it out, you know? And if you're just rehashing information that's not real, then you're part of the problem. And that, that spread of misinformation is growing to be a societal issue. And I want to put out there, too, that the freedom of speech and freedom to think whatever you want doesn't mean other people don't have the freedom to criticize that. And I want anyone who disagrees with us or th maybe thinks we're being biased or, or I'm trying to keep, we're trying to keep this apolitical, even though a lot of the stuff is pol political because it is in kind of that sphere um, today, uh, our topic today specifically even. Um, I, we, I think I welcome that kind of like, Hey, uh, we I don't think this was right or this seemed to be leaning one way or another or whatever. I welcome that. And I think that is what a lot of people who get into who, who will defend themselves with freedom of speech um, get into of like, oh, I can say whatever. I have freedom of speech. Well, you can, yes, but that doesn't defend you from criticism. What you're like you said, we're looking to be apolitical. And what I like to imagine this is is I want to give you the fodder to be intelligent in your political discussions and the, the discussions that matter to you on a day-to-day -day basis because they should. If you're out there and you're, whatever your agenda is, you should be saying things that are true and facts. Otherwise, it's, it's an issue. And that's all we're going to do today, too, is just talk about how it works, kind of the overview of the history. It, it, I, I specifically avoided in my research getting anything that seemed biased one way or another mm -hmm. the, the truth may be biased sometimes one way or another because the other side has decided their own truth sure and if you have a problem with that again tell us um the or, truth is, is is often not a, a partisan one way or the other it's, right it's spun in it's many typically different ways. some group has decided they don't like that fact and made their own and then like oh this thing you're putting in our face we don't agree with that. That's not the truth. No, this is what has been. And so literally I stayed very surface. I know you di I dove a little bit more in depth. Sure. And uh, in that same vein, I, I basically tried to stay on sites that were either .gov or, you know, they, you know, I wasn't going to Mother Jones or right. going to. I pretty uh, much pulled directly from Wikipedia and Uncle Bill or so, I don't know. Ben's the constitutional <laughs> stuff for kids. You know what? I, I looked at it for dummies side and I was like, this is brilliant. It really it was, breaks it down. It was for kids. And you know what? Sometimes I think we do need to take it back to that level. Exactly. So, <clears throat> but, um, so we chose the presidential cabinet, uh, and the history, the selection process for this first episode, because it's very prominent. Uh, last week, uh, through this week, there are Senate hearings going on right now that are selecting the cabinet members for this next administration. And, it's important stuff. I mean, and whenever we were talking about it and discussing ideas, I realized there was a lot of things I didn't know. I didn't know the history of the cabinet. I don't know which positions are Senate approved, which ones aren't. You know, I don't even know how the appointment process worked. And I figured, well, you know, let's get started where it's, it's you know, most pertinent mm -hmm. right now. So um, you want to give I us will, a little bit of background and start, history on it? I will start uh, with my overview. I think there's some parts in here we talked a little bit that will overlap with yours, but of I'm course, sure you yeah. go into more detail. So, literally starting off almost with a definition, Cabinet of the United States is composed of the most senior appointed officers of the executive branch of the government, which, as we know, is the is the branch with the president. Exactly. Uh, and they're generally the heads of the federal executive departments. So, the specific departments 
aren't established by the Constitution or anything. The Constitution only really refers to these officials when it authorizes the president in Article 2, Section 2 to require the opinion in writing of the principal officer in each of the executive departments upon any subject relating to the duties of their respective offices. So basically, all the Constitution really has to say is uh, the president should get the opinion of these people who are the heads of the depart- these specific departments when he's referring to something about these departments. So, so with that being outlined in the Constitution, was the first president the first one to establish some kind of cabinet? Yes, I will get to that. Okay, but yes, the first the the first president George Washington had a, a cabinet of I believe it was five. Okay, it's either five plus I think it was five plus vice president, which actually is a member is technically part of the cabinet. Really, I didn't know that. Um, you you idiot. I'm what, what the <laughs> shit. Okay, but I uh, so <clears throat> currently there's 15 executive offices: the state, the treasury, justice, interior, agriculture, commerce, labor, defense. Health and Human Services, Housing and Urban Development, Transportation, Energy, Education, Veterans Affairs, Homeland, home, and Homeland Security, um, which actually that was the most recent one established. It was only established 15 years ago by the Homeland Security Act of 20, 2002. So that was post 9-11. Correct. Okay. The, the Homeland Security Act was enacted post 9 in reaction to 9-11. Side tangent. Remember where we were when that happened? Miss Kelly's class? Okay. I... <laughs> I apparently misremember <coughs> this entirely because really? I feel like it was like all I remember Miss Kelly bringing the TV in. See, I remember that. Okay, I remember that, but like I remember for some reason, and maybe I'm getting mixed up with some other tragedy that happened in our school or something <laughs> that we were coming back from PE, and like the school was just very quiet and like. It's, but I don't know. It's possible. I mean. I, I seem to remember being, I remember sitting next to either, I think I was sitting next to David at the time, and we both immediately like started writing down what was going on, and I think several people were in tears. A bunch of the girls were, though no one had any idea what was going on, really. You just kind of saw Well, and then everyone everything. like got released from school like a half an hour later. Yeah, yeah. We had a, an early day. It was. It was a weird but day. But my mom was remember a teacher football there. practice that night and was upset that it didn't get canceled. My mom was a teacher at the school. That's right. And I got, I went home and I was just by myself. I'm like, did you send us home to be with our families? My family's not here. <laughs> like my mom took me <clears throat> and I think maybe my brother home. Uh, my sister, I think, stayed at the school with my mom. Okay. And she was like, my mom was like, I'll be home. Just like be here. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't even know what her plan was. And like, I just went back and forth. Like, do I turn on the TV? Do I not turn on the TV? Sure. It was, it was what? We were in sixth grade. Seventh grade. Seventh grade. Yeah, 2001, but in the fall. Yeah, I mean, and that that uh, set the the stage for a lot of new policies and things that were created under the Patriot Act. Uh, was that what established the Homeland Security? Was that within the Patriot I didn't Act? Or? Deep dig that deep. We okay. can we can. We'll hey, talk, that can yeah, be a topic a about the Homeland episode. Security. Why not? Sure. But okay, so 15 agencies and Homeland Security was the last that was established. Yes. Okay. So because it's that thing's established by the t- constitution there's a lot of offices that no longer exist due to either just being dissolved or being divided into two separate or three separate sure. ones or being consolidated okay so the department of war existed from 19 or 1789 so it was one of the first ones until 1947 that was post-World War II. Yeah, so after 1947, it split into the Department of the Army, the Department of the Air Force, and... 
Yeah, Department of the Army and the Department of the Air Force uh, in the National Security Act. Okay. So then those two departments, along with the Department of the Navy, became military departments within the Department of Defense in 1949. So really, Department of Army and Department of Air Force existed for two years. Interesting. Um, so does that mean, so the Secretary of Defense then would oversee all those ultimately in some Yes, some yes, ultimately. Okay. And then I found a little thing, and I didn't write it, so I'm trying to do this from memory, but basically those three... Um, the the army, the air force, and the navy weren't cabinet level positions. Okay. Um, it was ju- they were just um departments. Gotcha. They were federal executive departments, but the head of them didn't hold a cabinet position. Okay. But then when it became all kind of consolidated into defense, then the secretary of defense. That makes sense. Um, so the Department of Commerce and Labor started in 1903, but was divided in 1913 into the Department of Commerce and the Department of Labor. So again, it's just kind of split those two up. And then the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, which began in 1953, was divided in 1979 between the Department of Health and Human Services and the Department of Education. Sure. And I could, you could see how, especially growing with... Uh you know, as the political realm became more interested in um, socially uh, liberal policies such as, you know, Medicaid reform, welfare, stuff like that, that it would become almost too much to be in charge of education and welfare right. and all those other options. I mean, right. And then also something to go back to. So, like, it's not necessarily that they would divide them up always because, like, oh, it makes more sense to be more specific. There are, like, the, the Army, the defense stuff all became one, but there are still, like, specific, um, like, I think the Department of the Defense still has kind of a sub-department of Navy. Oh, sub-department. yeah. I would imagine. But there's only one Secretary of Defense who, I guess, like, it all filters up to him, and then he goes to the president. Now, would, now, or her. Would it, is it typically... Congress that is like the one making these decisions to break things up as they go or is that I like, will get to that actually that a, okay I'm curious um, that actually is uh, in like two paragraphs sweet so then there's there's also the the throughout the years there's been like some positions um, or departments exist within the government you didn't tell me you had a ghost here I don't. I need to cut that out. <laughs> um, that I have learned. That I have learned is my upstairs neighbor's sex noises. Ooh, interesting. That's an interesting sex noise. I know, right? Right. Anyway, all right. So we can get back to this. Let me mark when it is. Ooh. Oh man. Uh, this cough has me sounding like a 60-year-old smoker. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so basically there are some departments or they were they were kind of just governmental bodies that would rise to being cabinet positions but then maybe be dropped back down. Okay. So uh, the director um, of the Federal Emergency Management Agency, he was at one point a cabinet m- member. Uh, and that agency was created in 1979. It was raised to cabinet rank in 1996 and then dropped from the cabinet rank in 2001. And then the director of central intelligence um, was a cabinet member from 1995 to 2001. Sure. So these directors would rise to cabinet level, but then be like, eh, maybe they're not 
directly whatever okay so and then the same thing happened with the director of the office of the national drug control policy at one point was a member of the cabinet and then wasn't okay um, so that happened so during they were their members- term of it like while it was while they were well, in I forgot for it. to put dates on that, so I don't know. Well, exactly I mean, like, how long. but so like, would they be a cabinet position, and while in that position, it would go to no longer cabinet position? Is that like you understand what I'm saying? Well, for example, the um, I mean, I, the, the it's kind of up to who the president and then the Congress. It's kind of up to anybody to decide who is a cabinet member. Sure. So, like, if you look at the. Uh, the director of the Federal Emergency Management Agency, which is an agency, a government agency. All of these executive departments are also still government agencies. Right. It's just the the heads of them are cabinet members, essentially. So the head or the director of the Federal Emergency Management Agency um, rose to the cabinet rank in 1996 and then was dropped from the cabinet rank in 2001. Okay. Which... Doesn't really coincide evenly with any of the presidential nominees. No, yeah, that would be... With any presidential thing. That was Bush's first term, wasn't it, in 2000? 2000, yeah, he was 2000, elected in 2004. 2004. So so maybe... Uh, when, when was Hurricane Katrina? Because that was like a, that was the big FEMA fail, wasn't it? Like with, with uh, understaffing or how, how the relief was directed. That was like 2004, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, because Bush was president from 2000, 2008. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so th- I guess maybe in his second term, uh, Clinton made this this department a, a cabinet thing, and then whenever Bush came in, he was like, "No, it's not a cabinet position." Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And um, I mean, I think that you no, know, that I I wouldn't can't be hundred percent sure, but I would imagine that you know the the ranking of it is also kind of implicit to the funding that it gets and the amount of money mm-hmm. that's involved as well. Um, so then, the, uh, speaking of like the position, like how, how kind of who gets to decide who what's a cabinet position, um, you just kind of propose it, um, and then people vote. I didn't get very deep into who votes on that and whatever. I think it's just kind of like it's kind of this almost the same as appointing them. Yeah. When we get to that, but so for example, um, the Department of Commerce and Industry was proposed to be a cabinet level. The being the director of that was proposed. Uh, by business interests in the 1880s. So pretty much anyone could be like, I think this should be, like, just business interests. Sure. Um, the Department of Peace uh, was proposed by... The United Con- States has a Department of Peace? I guess. I'm, I'm thunderstruck. <laughs> or, or did whenever Dennis Kucinich, uh, <laughs> Matthew Neely, and other members of the U.S. Congress proposed that the director of the Department of Peace become a cabinet-level position. The Department of Public Welfare was proposed as a cabinet-level position by Warren Harding. Okay. These all never became a cabinet-level position. So they were proposed but just voted down. Okay. Uh, The Department of Environmental Protection was proposed to be a cabinet-level position um, by Senator Arlen Specter. Okay. And then even Barack Obama proposed that the director of the Department of Business become a cabinet-level position. But ultimately was did not happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of going back to the history a little bit. Um, yeah, like we said, it, it ex- goes all the way back to, to George. Um, founding Father George. Father George. Um, 
so can you, I, can, now I didn't I didn't get to delve into this, but can I take a guess as to what the first? I was gonna say that. <laughs> so I will give you. He had four cabinet members. Okay, and then the cabinet. So four um, department heads, basically, and then the the vice president John Adams. Okay, I will say. There's one on here that kind of is weird. Okay. Um, because it's technically was part of, it was like one of the first executive offices, but it didn't become a part of the cabinet until 1829. So I, if you don't guess it, I won't. Okay. So I will give you a point if you guess the department and if you can guess the name of the director of that department. What what are these points good for? What can I use them for? Uh, nothing. Nothing. Okay. Um, to make yourself feel good. Right. So I guess there's I a total of eight points here. Okay. Um, I'm going to guess that. Let's see. President, we're running the country. Uh, I'm going to guess that the first thing they put together was uh, Secretary of like Money, Treasury, something like that. Yes. Okay, Treasury. Um, so that would be Hamilton. Was Alexander Hamilton. I haven't seen Hamilton, but I'm assuming that that's what that's from. <laughs> that is what that's... I haven't seen it. I just listened to it. <clears throat> All right. Points. You got two points out of eight now. Oh, shit. I have to guess the other ones. Uh... There, I will say there's... A couple of them... Do they still exist? Do, any, do they all still exist? All except for one of them. Okay. Um, and I actually mentioned the one that doesn't exist before. Is it Secretary of War? Yes. Um, Jefferson? No. Okay. That wouldn't make sense anyway. Um, that, his name was Henry Knox. Henry Knox. Okay. Um, Secretary of Agriculture? No. Hmm. Uh, I'm feeling pretty terrible about myself so far, so these points aren't working. Um, <laughs> Secretary... Well, I mean, you only have three. That's true. Um, let's see. How about... Secretary of Health or something no. like that. Okay. You're missing a very obvious one. I, you know what? I give up. I'm, you give I'm up? throwing in the towel. Okay, so Secretary of State. Of course, God. Of Can course. you guess who it was? You already said his name. Jefferson. Yep. Okay. And then Attorney General. Uh, ooh, was that? Let's see. John Adams was the uh, Vice President, right? Correct. So, shit. I don't even know this name. Oh, okay. It's Edmund Randolph. Okay. And then, so, and then the office that didn't become part of the cabinet until 1829 was the Postmaster General. Okay. Uh, and his name was Samuel Osgood. Interesting. I read an interesting fact the other day about John Adams that uh, after it was one of the early battles of uh, the American Revolution, um, these uh, British soldiers needed f for due process to work. They had to have a court appointed lawyer, but no one would do it. And John Adams did it, and he ended up getting like four of them off of manslaughter charges. It was kind of interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. So he was as unbiased as they get, I guess. Right. <laughs> so this is going to go into kind of how they get appointed. And I know you go into a little more depth. So if you have questions, save them because you can answer them yourself. Excellent. So all cabinet members are nominated by the president and then presented to the Senate for confirmation or rejection by a simple majority. Um, so, and that's 51 votes. However, that was before. However, before the use of the nuclear option during the 113th U.S. Congress, which was the Congress that was in office from January 3rd, 2013 to January 3rd, 2015. So that's Obama's second term. Yes. Okay. Uh, they could, like, the, the, the nominees could have been blocked by filibuster, 
which would have required um, a three-fifths supermajority to consider further consideration. Okay. But during that Congress, they used the nuclear option, which made it so that they only needed 51 votes. Side quest. I wrote this down because it's a little side quest. Okay. Because I used this term nuclear option. I saw it on the Wikipedia article I was reading, and I went, what does that even freaking mean? Right. So I have a little side quest and a little extra extra info. Okay. I don't know why I said it's a side quest. It just made me laugh when I said it out loud. It feels, makes me feel like we need like a little soundbite of like a troll jingling like <laughs> yes. coins in a pouch. Yes. <laughs> so basically, the nuclear option is a parliamentary procedure that allows the Senate to override a rule or a precedent by a simple majority of 51 votes instead of a supermajority of 60 votes. So basically what happens is the presiding officer of the Senate rules that the validity of a Senate rule or precedent is a constitutional question. So then they immediately put the issue to the full Senate, which decides by majority vote. So basically, it allows the Senate to decide any issue by just a majority vote. If someone's like, I, I don't think it should be a two-thirds vote. Right. <laughs> if, the, if the person in charge. So basically, before November of 2013, again, falling within this January 3rd to, of 2013 to 2015, uh, Senate rules required... This is when... So the nuclear option happened in November 2013. The Senate rules required a three-fifths vote of the members of the Senate, so which is usually 60 votes, to end debate on a bill. Nomination, which is what's important here, or a proposal, other proposal. Um, and then, so before then, so before 2013, it was required to have a three-fifths vote. But then they said, nuclear option, now it only needs a majority. And then the the rules that they made in 2013 also require a two-thirds vote to end debate on a change to the Senate rules. So not to get so break too, that down for me. So not to get too political, but what happened was the Republicans got in charge. Oh no! Okay, my computer froze. Okay. So what happened was the Republicans who were the majority mm-hmm. at the time. I guess probably wanted to push through some nomination or some legislation and said, but didn't have the super majority. Sure. So they, by majority, said, oh, new rules, it only requires a simple majority, which they did have. Right. They they had 51 votes. They just didn't have the 60. So whatever rule change they wanted to make or whatever appointment they wanted to make, or not even rule change, it would have been the... What does it require? What does it apply to? It applies to debates on bills, nominations, or other proposals. Okay. So pretty much right. everything that would come across the floor. Bas- but it was also to end the debate. Right. It, it's basically so is that playing stop, the filibustering as well? It basically stops filibusters right. from happening because before then, they the minority still could have filibustered it. And then overcoming a filibuster would have required a two-thirds. Right. That makes sense. Um, But they made it to say, oh, nope, it only requires... uh, We we only need uh, 51 votes to stop talking about it. Just be done with it. 51 people need to say, yep, 
we 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 are done with talking about it we we want to make a decision because and honestly this got me a little confused as i was reading it i may be saying stuff wrong if anyone knows i am because it did kind of get my head swimming a little bit okay i think the idea is it only it it, it the senate votes multiple times on like the same thing so they'll vote to vote basically exactly yeah because they have it's like having a meeting to plan your next meeting right (laughs) they have these confirmation hearings and then if someone's like yeah we don't want to we don't want to we don't want to uh vote on them because we know they'll go through so we'll just filibuster it and so then they change the rules like no it only requires a simple majority to even stop the filibuster. Um, yeah, I, I actually, it's funny. Uh, I remember reading about that in my research because it was um, it was Harry Reid from Nevada who pushed for that when he was, uh, I, I'm not sure if he's the Senate Majority Leader at the time, but um, the it basically was all presidential appointments to the executive branch and the judiciary can be approved by a simple majority but not Supreme Court justices. Right. I actually have that too. A three-fifths vote is still required to end debates on legislation and Supreme Court nominations. So yeah, it's a, and from what I read about it, it said that they took the controversial step because they were frustrated by what they saw as foot dragging on Obama's choices for his administration and federal judgeships. However, it's one of those things where it doesn't seem like foresight really came into play. It was right. almost like letting that frustration boil over to where you're eliminating checks and balances that existed before that, you know, that foot dragging existed, mm-hmm. but it was not without purpose, you know? Right. Um, so, yeah, so, I, I yeah, remember reading Basically, that. the those rules, I don't know what rules, it just said those rules, <laughs> uh, effectively allowed a minority of the Senate to block a bill or nomination through a filibuster. Yes. Um. So, but then it also using the nuclear option resulted kind of in a de facto requirement that the nomination have the support of 60 senators to pass rather than a majority of 51. So basically before it, I don't, it was very weird. It was just like, it's they kind of reversed everything just so they could say, let's, we want to stop everything. Yeah. And let's just push it through. We and, just want to push go. everything through right away, which is why it'll be interesting now. Not, not necessarily that they want to push through the nomination. They want to push through the debate. Yes. And I think that'll be interesting to see now when there is such discord over some of the selections that are currently um, being you know right. presented to Senate because Republicans have the majority now. So, I mean, it's right. It's, the minority could, Right. Yeah. So I mean, it it's one of those things. Like I was I was talking to someone about it the other day, and I was I compared it to uh, in my neighborhood. There, the the main drag has these beautiful old houses, and there's these trees that are probably 50, 60 years old that line the streets. But the roots are pushing up the sidewalks. The sidewalks yeah. are just destroyed. And it was like there was no foresight in planting them. You say, oh, these these trees are going to be beautiful, and I hope their roots don't extend less than a foot over to where they'll completely uproot the sidewalk. So it's it's one of those things where you see that reactionary behavior happen without the idea of what's going to come ahead, mm-hmm. and you might be making things more difficult for yourself five, ten years down the road, because that's how long sometimes these processes take. Right. I mean, it's 
I want to explore the nuclear option more at some point because I still don't totally get it, even though I just reported. Yeah, it. no, and I, I, um, it actually because there's a, it's a lot to do with even just the way the Senate works, um, and the with the way the Congress works in general. And I'm I wasn't sure when they were talking about these rules. I'm like, what rules? The ones before are the new ones since the like. And you know, honestly, option. whenever we're going through the the actual Senate confirmation process, it might answer some of those questions. Yeah. I know it touches upon that briefly in that research. But I just wanted it, it said yeah, basically with the article I read talked about the the nuclear option. I was like, what is that? What does it mean? So, but yeah, basically. Yeah, but it's it still needs a three fifths vote to. I mean, um, and you, in debates on legislation and nominate Supreme I, Court. I nominees. think if you're just speaking, uh, you know, in in terms of the word itself, the nuclear option would just be the ultimate option, the right. the final right. option. That There's is no that going is, back. That from, is the you know? root. Yeah. Is yeah. So um, so yeah, that's I mean that's interesting stuff, and I think it's uh, you know, it's one of those caveats that you know if you hear later on about um, a, you know a an a an appointee going through because of the nuclear option. Now you'll know what they're talking about. You know, it was that. Well, you'll know that, a little bit what they're talking yeah, about. That major- I didn't do my full research. <laughs> I'm not helping. Well, you're wearing a button-down shirt on your day off, so you're already winning in my book. It is uh, flannel. It's not well, <laughs> nice. Um, so anyway, we'll go back to the cabinet now that we have discovered. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about sometimes. <laughs> I mean, it's you know what, and honestly. Going through this research and stuff, some of it it, it will make your eyes roll heavy. back in your head because it's a lot of drivel and it's a lot of you know nuanced stuff. But that's it's not made to be boring on purpose. It's made to be so that those checks and balances exist, so there is a stopper in some fashion, so it can't just be you know our president is Republican and the Congress is Republican, so all Republican things go through. Like that's not how the government is set up to work. And, you know, it's easy to just kind of tune it out and be like, whatever, it doesn't matter. And it might not ultimately affect you ever in your life. But like I said, we're trying to delve into topics that are important because they're happening right now. This is this stuff is going on as we speak. You know, Congress and Senate is meeting behind closed doors every day discussing, you know, the inauguration is four days away where I mean, it's happening. It's almost Mm -hmm. here. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on. Um, I did also find in my research that I thought was kind of interesting it was either Obama's first or second term. I don't remember, but I think that they had almost half of his appointees pushed through and approved before he ever took office. I mean, so in the past, the process has been expedited despite partisan politics. And it just really kind of comes down to what's the most pressing issues at hand. And right now there's a lot of concern over the Senate appointees and whether or not they're qualified and their character as well as their past history. So you might see, you know, different things out there. You might see things that are saying, you know, you'll see memes or uh, things online where people are explicitly attacking this process. And there's, there's reasoning behind it one way or another, despite your personal politics for the way it goes. And this, this process, like I said, we, Jack and I have, you know, 10 pages between us just about the Senate appointing process. It's arduous. I mean, there's a lot to it. Um, Let me get through my stuff because we are at 40 minutes oh, already. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, but basically what all this boils down to is 51 votes to get appointed. Um, and then if appointed, cabinet members are sworn in and then begin their duties. Um, they all get the title of secretary, except for the attorney general mm-hmm. 
and the postmaster general when that was a cabinet office. Everyone is secretary of whatever. Secretary of State, Secretary of the Treasury, Secretary of War, except for uh, Attorney General. Excellent. And Vice President, but that's a whole other process anyway. So is he technically the head cabinet member then? I yeah. mean, if, if there's a hierarchy that exists? Basically. There's the, the, the cabinet members, that the secretaries, there is an order to... That's who replaces the president, right? right? If, it, right. if he were to be... Right. It's like president, vice president... And secretary of state next, right? Is that right? No, I think it's like President Pro Tem. Okay. There's like four before it even gets to the secretaries of. Which is, I mean, three. It's also something people I've, you know, I've read about and have heard issue as well because um, you're looking at these guys' qualifications not only to do their jobs, but if they had to take over the realm of president as well, which, I mean, has happened in the past Mm -hmm. before, you know? That's, uh, yeah, exactly right. (laughs) Um, so something I wanted to get to is that cabinet appointments are only for the duration of the administration. Okay. But the president may dismiss any member at any time without approval of the Senate. Okay. So if the president is dissatisfied with the job they're doing, he can fire them without, um, any approval, any kind of background check of why. They're just that's, gone. That's actually been... Uh, They're fired. There's been discussion about that uh, in regards to the uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB, um, and the FDC, which enforces the FDCPA, a lot of consumer protection laws um, that came as a result of the uh, Dodd-Frank Act um, after the financial crisis. And one of Trump's main campaign issues has been to dismantle and work that down, which I believe was a, a government-appointed office. Mm-hmm. So um, that'll be interesting to see how that pans out as well. Also, they are expected to resign when a new president takes office. Okay. So there was a whole kind of hullabaloo I saw on the internet of like, Trump is firing all of the the <laughs> heads of the departments. Like, no, 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 no. It, it's going to happen. Sure. Like That's the kind of stuff that we're looking to dispel. They're supposed to. You know? That they're going to leave. Yeah. It's expected they resign when the new president takes office. Um, so some, some little bits uh, about the cabinet as referred to in law. Okay. Um, it's only ever really addressed in the constitution in the 25th amendment. Okay. Um, section four of that amendment allows the vice president together with the majority of either the principal offers of the executive departments or of, of another body of Congress. So I guess either the Senator, uh, What's the other one? Uh, House House Representatives. Yeah. I guess I just call the House. My thing is I call the House the Congress and then I call Senate Senate. And I know they're both technically Congress. You need to rewatch your schoolhouse rock. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Uh, So they can declare the president disabled by submitting a written declaration to the president pro tempore of the Senate and the Speaker of the House. So like unfit to. Yes. Really? Yes. Um, Has that ever been executed before? No. Okay. Um, so then the vice president would become <laughs> acting president at that point. And then the president may resume exercising the presidential duties by sending a written declaration to the president pro tempore and the speaker of the house. So basically this was just a little side, another side quest I took. So it's 20, article 20 or sec, I don't know. <laughs> Amendment 25 kind of talks about kind of the, the general idea of the cabinet and kind of some of the things they can do. This is one of the more interesting ones yeah, I yeah. found. 
Um, so should the vice president and the cabinet still believe that the president is disabled, even after he's written a thing being like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> uh, they may, within four days of the president's declaration, submit a counter declaration uh, saying, no, he can't do it. It's bureaucracy at its finest. Um, and then if they're not already in session, Congress must assemble within 48 hours. And then they have 21 days to decide on the issue. And then within the, if within the 21 days, two-thirds of each house of, uh, vote that the president is incapacitated, the vice president would continue, in air quotes, to be the acting president. But should Congress resolve the issue in favor of the president or make no decision within the 21 days, then the president would resume discharging. Because it's all kind of up in the air at this point, uh, discharging the powers and duties of the office. And then, um, however, if the president's like, after this, they've deliberated and they say, no, you're unfit. And the president's like, fuck, no, I'm not. He can write another letter being like, guys, Give me a chance. Um, so rest assured, if the president does ever go on a cocaine bender, there is at least a 45-day process in place right. to, to either get him back in office right. or certify that he's not able to do it. I think it's mostly in place. Um, it's not necessarily... Um, I, I think it's mostly in place if like the president may start... like. Dementia while sure, in office yeah. or stuff like that. Alzheimer's or something yeah, like that. Yeah, where it's not a physical disease um, or that actually kills him right. or whatever, um, but like a mental thing that – or even like just severe fucking depression or yeah, something. Yeah. Um, Which, I mean, I think if, you know, if we – It's wait. not necessarily if they're doing work you agree or disagree with. Which, if Kanye West runs in 2020, you may end up seeing this policy happen in real life. Oh, God. <laughs> but, yeah. And so, basically, <clears throat> then, if the president writes again, saying, like, no, I'm fine, then the declaration can be responded to by the acting president, which, at that point, would probably be the vice president. And then the cabinet, in the same way. And uh, basically they'd write a thing and then the 21 day thing would happen all over again. And then after the fourth letter, there is a thumb wrestling competition between and the vice president and the thumb wrestling competition. Followed by a pie eating There's contest. There's a pie eating contest and then it's a dunk booth. A dunk booth. I like that. And then it, we just... On the Senate floor. It's just everything just turns into a carnival. <clears throat> that wouldn't be a far cry. Um, so there's no explicit definition of the term cabinet in the Constitution or the United States Code, or the Code of Federal Regulations. Okay. Um, it really just comes from a 17th century usage for a private room where the, these advisors would meet. Sure. Um, and then that kind of, over time, developed into our, our modern understanding of it as a council of advisors. And uh, just a side note, if there's any kind of confusion about things like this where it's not explicitly highlighted in the Constitution, and you're wondering, well, why does it exist then? Um, and I'm sure we'll eventually probably touch on the Constitution more wholeheartedly, but it is a living document that is interpreted openly by the courts on a fairly consistent basis. Um, and really, them determining they need a cabinet is not detrimental at all. I mean, throughout history, you've seen leaders surround themselves with well, people the, who know things. The other Constitution than does say <clears throat> the president needs to assemble a group of people that are the heads of these 
of departments to advise him in the rulings. Okay. Yeah. Of those, uh, we mentioned. I mentioned that at like the very beginning. And it's important. You so know, it does say like, hey, you should have these people. It just doesn't say, hey, put together a cabinet or name what they what the specific departments are. Or how. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, there's a couple other laws that pertain to the cabinet, while not expressly mentioning the word cabinet because nothing does. Right. Um, there in Title Three of the United States Code, um, it basically says that I'm not basically I quote it: "Nothing herein shall be deemed to require express authorization in any case in which such an official would be presumed in law to have acted by authority or direction of the president." So basically, that means the heads of the executive departments um, are gives them being the head of that department gives them the authority to act for the president within their areas of responsibility. Okay. Without any specific delegation. Gotcha. So basically, they can act without having to convene a Congress of Defense or whatever. Did, now, did you say they need presidential approval to act, or they just can act of their own accord as in the best interest of their their department? Yes. Okay. Interesting. Now, um, uh, yeah, they can act in their own what they believe is the best. They they can basically they can run their department without sure. having to run everything. Past Not the a lot president. of micromanaging as far as that goes, right? Because the president is busy. And also because the president is appointing them, typically we're getting people that are in line with the president's wants and policies as right, far as that right, stuff goes. Right, right, right. It's, it's, it's understood that it is presumed that they know what they're talking about. That makes sense. Because they are the heads of this department. Um, there it was a law enacted in 1967 called the Federal Anti-Nepotism Statute, which prohibited federal officials from appointing their immediate family members to certain governmental positions, including those in the cabinet. Interesting. Just something to know. I think that's important as well. Yeah. You know? um, I, Because I, 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 I think even when I was a kid, I was like, if I were president, who would I have in my cabinet? And like, I think at one point I was like, I'd do it. I, uh, my brother would be good at that. Nope. That wouldn't fly. Do it. Wouldn't do it. Wouldn't fly. No, I no. could appoint you because you're just my friend. Don't appoint me. I'd be terrible <laughs> at it. Uh, I will. <coughs> I will appoint you to uh, as the director of the department of coffin, like a forty year old man. That is my favorite department currently. <laughs> um, and then Poppin' the use and X like candy. <laughs> the last kind of law I kind of found that uh, talks about. There's several. But this one that I found important, um, the Title V of the United States Code, um, that kind of says what they are to be paid. Okay. Um, so cabinet level positions qualify for level one pay, which it was set at an annual salary of $205,700. Wow. Um so Which, level one, I'm assuming level because I think the president is what like three to four hundred thousand a year or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I mean, level one would probably be the highest below the president, right. I think. Interesting. Um, so that's what I've got. Well, that's great, man. I mean, that I definitely learned a lot as far as that went. Um, some stuff I didn't know. Now I've got a question for you. This is actually I'm just gonna do this off the thing. Yeah. Three twenty six. We are at an hour. Okay. <laughs> do we want to say like? Uh, kind of have like a tune in next week and we'll go over like Jason stuff and then we can just go into it and we'll have two episodes. 
Um, it's entirely up to you. I mean, I feel like a lot. So some of the stuff that I was going to get into was kind of covered by okay. you. I we'll, mean, we'll just we'll have a long episode. Do you, I mean, do you want to call it like an hour fifteen? Would that be that's fine? Would that be straight? Um, I mean, if we go an hour and a half, it's fine. We used to put a half an hour describing what the thing was. Yeah, that's and I mean, I think important. once we edit it down, you might cut out, you know, five. There's not a lot to cut out. Yeah, except gonna... for your neighbor's orgasms. I I, I wrote that down. <laughs> he is rallying today. Be quiet though, because he can hear. Um, I think he, I don't <coughs> know what it is. But, so the girl that lived here before me, she does improv with me, and she's like, "Have you ever heard him woo- wooing?" I'm like, "I thought that was like a dog from across the street." I'm like, "No, nope, that's upstairs." She's like, that's his sex noise. I'm like, are you sure? It'd be even better if he's up there by himself. I think it's his. Yeah. Um, um, anyway, so 54, 34. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you know, whatever. If we decide that it's running long, we want to cut it down to two episodes. I'm totally cool with that as well. It makes me no difference. Well, all right. We can go into your thing then. Okay. So uh, I'm going to start mine with a question. Uh, how, how many executive level presidential appointed jobs would you guess there are that require senate approval not necessarily hearings but just a vote some kind of senate approval uh executive level because i know there's like so many like judicial appointee appointments yeah executive level i'm gonna guess at least 14 1200 holy cow yeah so so you're looking at a pretty arduous process um it's broken down into seven steps there's the selection there's a background check. I was I was off by almost fourteen hundred. You need to really sit and rethink your life. You know, <laughs> a button-down flannel shirt doesn't give you all the. Wait, how many was it? Twelve hundred. Twelve hundred. Oh, twelve hundred. I was off by one thousand three hundred and like eighty-six. Six. Eighty-six. Your math is on point. <laughs> I work at a bank. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the the they're broken down into uh, selection a background check, uh, assignment to a committee for review, there's a meeting with committee members and staff, the committee hearing, uh, floor debate, and then vote. So selection and background check, that's pretty basic. President-elect is going to you know, make his selections. Uh, each cabinet secretary will go through the FBI security check and the Office of Government Ethics for potential conflicts of interest. So that's where you're looking at things like Rex Tillerson, uh, the CEO of ExxonMobil, who is up for Secretary of State. They're vetting his, you know, ability Ties to with it's with Exxon uh, right. and his past history with uh, dealings with uh, sanctions and things of that. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to eliminate those conflicts of interest, and it's it's in favor of both parties, um, right? You know, because I think it, it makes a stronger country when the people running it don't have conflicts of interest and i mean you're typically these guys are not you know they're not pulling your average joe off the street to be a cabinet position these are guys who have been in the game in some capacity for a long time like i think a lot of times it is people that worked maybe in that department um underneath the prior Mm -hmm. like secretary of whatever yeah absolutely um and i mean I think, you know, there's there's been issue here and there because the, you know, people are wondering if these are appointees that are coming from uh, you know, campaign contributions or things like that, but they're vetted, you know, very strongly one way or another and the committees that are doing it are are bipartisan. So you have Democrats really really hammering in and you have Republicans who, you know, uh, they're looking for conflicts as well, you know, because the last thing they want to do is push hard for someone who ends up being a problem a couple years down the road. Um, so after that, uh, you're going to a committee assignment. 
which is, you know, the papers are submitted to the Senate and uh, each nomination is assigned to a committee with oversight of that department. So for each of the departments that you talked about, when you have Secretary of Agriculture, Secretary of State, whatever, there are departments and committees that oversee those in some capacity through Congress, and they're the ones in charge of, of putting together the vetting process for that. Um, so then they have the meeting with the committee members and staff. Uh, if you're listening to the Senate appointments at any point last week or this week, you'll hear sometimes the senators say, you know, thank you for meeting me with my office earlier this week or meeting with me wherever. And that might make you scratch your head like, why are they meeting behind closed doors? It's all part of the process. They, you know, some one-on-one -on -one FaceTime, uh, just kind of getting a grasp of things because these committee members aren't going in there blind. They're formulating questions based off these, you know, these things they talk about. Um, so then, uh, you know, they they go up to Capitol Hill. They meet the ranking uh, committee members, the key staff members, stuff like that. Um, and as they meet with them, uh, that's when they're raising their initial concerns and stuff. Um, and it also gives the candidate uh, or the appointee a chance to remediate and be prepared for that answer one way or another. Um, so then you're getting into the actual hearings, the committee hearing themselves. Uh, and this is uh, where the public, you know, is privy to watching or listening. Right, in, right. Um, and if actually, you, seeing if you want to watch CNN for, or not CNN, what's the one that's like it's literally just C-SPAN? C-SPAN. Yeah. There it is. Um, and I mean, if you had told me ten years ago that I would be at work streaming Senate committee hearings while I was working. I would have told you to fuck off, but that's exactly what I've been doing. Um, and you listen to them, and it's really interesting. I mean, if you watch House of Cards or things like that, and, you know, it's it can be that intense. I mean, these people are looking for weaknesses. They're finding flaws. They're making sure that they have the character, and, you know, both moral and uh, just overall to be able to handle this position and, and what it entails. Um, so, uh, and, and one of the things I found interesting in this article that I, I read was, they talk about how um, it's important to appear to answer the question without committing to the answer. So you hear a lot of things like, Senator, that's an excellent question, and it is one that I need to go back and take a look at. Let me get back to you on that. I do understand where you're coming from, or things like, I look forward to working with you on that issue. It's answering it without quite answering it. It's almost like pleading the fifth. Right. Uh, it's not illegal, but it you know it makes you wonder. It's why what's there to answer, but also... You don't want to screw yourself over before you even get, you know, into the position as far as that goes. Mm -hmm. And also you get that, too, when it's lawyers dealing with lawyers, basically. Like, Absolutely. it's just going to be a lot of law talk back and forth. It's why the police tell you when they arrest you that you have the right to remain silent. Nine times out of ten, you should take that right. Shut up. <laughs> just shut up. I did learn the other day, um, like, one of the things police like to do is, like, do you know how fast you were going? Don't say how fast you were going. Either just say... Yes, <laughs> or no, office like no officer. I don't like that because a lot of time, not a lot of times, and it does specifically. I think I was reading it specifically applying to um, black people, um, where there are there may be some cops who are pulling profiling and want a reason to it's, give you a you, ticket. You can, you can say that. There's been Department of Justice reports detailing that. Right. There, there has been profiling throughout police departments. Um, <laughs> I, I just don't want to paint a broad swath. Of course, swap. yeah. Um, but some may be profiling and want to give someone a ticket, or maybe they're... And this is also something that is known to, to happen. Of, of, oh, no, we're not meeting our 
finances this month. Mm-hmm. Let's give out some tickets. Exactly. Don't. It, it just goes back to just don't say anything that could incriminate yourself, and that's what they're trying to do. Is they're not trying. They're trying not to. It does seem fishy to us. Of like, just answer the question. But if you think about yourself in that kind of situation, of would you want to? If an officer tells you, asks you, how, do you know how fast you were going? Do you want to tell him, oh, yeah, I was going 80 and then be for sure going to get a ticket or be like, no, officer, I don't. Because maybe he doesn't and he can't do anything now. Exactly. Um, Yeah, you know, you definitely you always deserve the right to not incriminate yourself. Um, That actually probably be interesting podcast is just to talk about your basic rights as people, you know, you get pulled over and have no idea what you could or could do. I always wonder when I hear the Jay-Z song 99 Problems. How many kids that have gotten pulled over with like weed in their car have said, well, my glove compartment's locked and so is the trunk in the back and I know my rights, so you're going to need a warrant for that. And the cops are like, get out of the car. <laughs> like, we all know Jay-Z. Um, that's probable cause in itself. Get out of the car. <laughs> you're listening to Jay-Z. Yeah. I've got it. Um, I know who you are. So uh, after that, it goes to the floor debate and the vote. So um, if the nominee gets a majority of votes on the committee, the nominee is placed on the executive calendar for the Senate. The Senate Majority Leader will call up that nomination. The process unfolds before the full Senate, with members given the opportunity to provide statements in support or in opposition, raise questions or concerns. And then, uh, you know, it says most cabinet nominations go through the process fairly quickly, despite opposition. Um, most of the members right, recognize... you got to go pretty fast to get through 1,200. Yeah, I mean, most of the members recognize the president gets to select his cabinet. That's just kind of how it goes. And I mean... Unless there's a glaring, glaring right? Because that's why they've been kind of stuck on two lately of Rex Tillerson and whatever the other guy's name is, Jeff Sessions. Yes. Um, and I will say, just as a, a little side note, I had had my concerns with uh, Jeff Sessions, and it could be totally. I mean, I it's very possible that the guy is a closet racist, but for, just from listening to it, he sounds like a guy who respects and upholds the law. And I mean, ask some things that I know he's not a fan of such as uh, gay rights, abortion, thing like that. He said, I, they're the law of the land. And as the attorney general, it's my job to protect the law. So um, just interesting stuff like that. But uh, I mean, they are, you know, you'll see that kind of vetting process as it goes. Um, so, and this touches on what you had said earlier Um, Until 2013, a 60-vote majority was required to confirm these positions. However, in November that year, the Democrats invoked an archaic rule that allowed them to change Senate rules, with 52 Democrats voting to allow a 51-vote threshold to confirm judicial and administration nominees other than the Supreme Court. So it virtually assures that a sitting president will get their nominees confirmed if the party controls the Senate. Right. So it's, you know, that's basically how it works. Oh, I, the, I, the minority... I, I, I also apologize because I think I was blaming, I think earlier I said something about the Republicans did that. It was the Democrats. It was. It was, was uh, Henry, uh, Harry Reid was the one who pushed that through. Um, the minority was... party will still have the opportunity to inflict pain by holding a drawn out hearing or voicing strong opposition. But they can't, they can't filibuster. Exactly. It, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, how this process goes during these rounds. Especially because, as I mentioned before, um, there wasn't a whole lot of opposition the last time when the Republicans controlled right. it and they were just trying to get it through. Um, so, like I said, there's 1,200 jobs that require... Uh, name all of them. I'm not going to name them all. However, <laughs> I do have them broken down here. I know so 14 there, of them. There are the secretaries of the 15 cabinet agencies, which you said... Uh, in that, there's also deputy secretaries, undersecretaries, and assistant secretaries. That alone is over 350 positions. 
then the justice of the Supreme Court, nine positions. We only have one to vacancy well, that's, right now. Well, this isn't the executive then anymore. This is uh, this uh, these is, are executive appointments. This is yeah, the executive appointments that Senate has approved. Okay, uh, I, the way you phrased it earlier really sounded like it was for people it to approve people in the executive branch. There's twelve hundred. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, this is. Uh, but it's just appointments. This overall. is this is the uh, appointments that require Senate approval. There's twelve hundred that require executive appointments. Yes. because the president picks these people. Right. Okay, so then a, those fe- those federal judges are probably on there, right? Uh, it's it says that uh, the justice of the Supreme Court. Um, which there's one vacancy right now, and then I have uh, certain jobs in the independent non-regulatory executive branch agencies like NASA, National Science Foundation is 120 positions, director positions in regulatory agencies like the EPA, Federal Aviation Administration, 130 positions, U.S. attorneys and U.S. marshals, that's that's about 200 positions. Those are federal judges. Yep, ambassadors to foreign nations is 150, and then presidential appointments to part-time positions like the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System is over 160 positions. But so, but they don't. They're not going to do 1,200. They every don't. Time. They don't do hearings on all those. Some of these are just pushed to vote through committee. So, but um, they're not going to do all of those all of the time because you only have like the nine Supreme Court exactly. cases is only when yeah, and like it's just whenever. Because how many of those jobs, like the, the NASA ones, are expected to leave when the president turns over? I, you know, I don't know. That's a good question because I know that you were saying that a lot of them have to um, uh, vacate when a new well, president that comes was in. Well, ju- that's literally just the heads of – I think it's probably the heads of the departments and then maybe like the secretaries and undersecretaries. I would think so because, I mean, you can't – you would think that it would be hard to vacate people from those positions every four to eight years. Right. Especially if they're dealing with the – you know the ins and outs of it it's it'd just be a training and compliance nightmare really right you'd finish training someone fully and then they'd be gone exactly um, um so I, it, I have a feeling yeah i don't i doubt those like part-time jobs and whatever those are probably jobs that are appointed but not for a set period of time sure it's just like okay you have who i don't know though that's an interesting question it is i'm i'm curious i'm but i would it just seems like it'd be a lot of work for nothing you know um unless you like Unless you, there was a NASA director who was like, "We should go to Mars," and you're a president, you're like, "Fuck you and fuck Mars!" Like, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to go to Mars. So I think if our if our <laughs> this show catches on, I think our first T-shirt we sell is just say "Fuck you and fuck Mars." Fuck you and fuck Mars. I say that all the time. Um, so, uh, in in addition to the nuclear option that you talked about, there is another uh, temporary bypass of presidential appointments, and it actually is highlighted in the Constitution. Um, it's an Article 2, Section 2, and it gives presidents a way to at least temporarily bypass the Senate in making presidential appointments. It's called the Recess Appointments, and t- basically it says um, it grants the power, the president the power to fill up all vacancies that may happen during the recess of the Senate by granting commissions which shall expire at the end of their next session. So uh, so basically he can appoint people when Senate's away. Right, So, but here's how, here's how it works. It's, it's very just bureaucratic and like sneaky um so as is everything exactly so the courts have held that this means that during times that the senate is in recess the president can make appointments without the need for senate approval however the appointee must be approved by the senate by the end of the next session of congress or when the the position becomes vacant again so while the constitution does not address that issue the supreme court in its 2014 decision in the case of national labor relations board versus noel canning Rule that the Senate must be in recess for at least three consecutive days before the president can make recess appointments. So it has to be three days. Uh, this process, known as recess appointments, is often highly controversial. 
In an attempt to prevent recess appointments, the minority party in the Senate often holds pro forma sessions during recesses lasting longer than three days. While no legislative business is conducted in a pro forma session, they ensure the Congress is not officially adjourned, thus blocking the president from making recess appointments, which is interesting because the Democrats are in the minority currently. So um, they could opt to not have pro forma, and then that would push those through, but you would think that they would probably try to stay in it as much as possible right. in an effort to block any that they were concerned about. Um, so it's it's interesting. It seems like... I'm just, I'm just like... Yeah, I guess I have the Republican. I, oh, I guess it doesn't matter as much because it's it's a well, it's the Supreme Court right. stuff. So I mean the the because the Supreme Court, uh, Mar- the Garland, like you'd think that that could just happen. Of like, well, you guys are gone, and Merrick Garland's the new like exactly. Supreme Court justice. Yeah. So, but that that means that the Republicans have been doing that, staying in session when no one. If they were in the minority, then yeah, that they would be they would be the ones holding those sessions if they were trying to block appointments from happening without Senate approval. Okay. So um, it's it's kind of an inverse. Well, because how much? Because to, to me, I read a thing, and I don't know. Um, I, are we towards the end of your? Yeah, yeah. I got like one or two. I don't want to talk too much. You, this just looks like a graph. Yeah, it's. Um, I was I was going to touch on the. Uh, for anyone who's interested, there are two scheduled Senate hearings that are happening this week. I will say I don't know when this will go out. So. Yeah, that's, oh, that's fine. Um, that's true. But uh, either way, um, uh, January seventeenth at five p.m. and all these are available. You can find them online. Yeah, if, this, if you're happened. listening to this in the past, you can still see these. If you're listening to this past, give us your technology. Uh, I mean, I want to go to the past. Really? <laughs> I've been to the past. Have you? How is it? I mean, all the way back up to uh, nineteen eighty nine. I vaguely remember that year. Uh, I don't remember. I yeah yeah. I don't think I remember that year. I don't remember anything until about three months ago. I I don't even remember what my memory this is awful. <laughs> uh, and you can't even blame drug abuse. No, um, you get to. I know, right? <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> it's a perfect out, and because I'm white, it's even better. Um, so January seventeenth at five p.m. is Betsy DeVos. Uh, who's up for Secretary of Education. Education. And then Wilbur Ross, uh, January 18th at 10 a.m., uh, up for Secretary of Commerce. Now, there's following ones that are still are not scheduled. Um, Steve Munchen as Secretary of Treasury, uh, former Goldman Sachs CEO. Mm-hmm. So that would be a really interesting one. Uh, Rick Perry for Secretary of Energy, um, who uh, – no, that's not who I'm thinking of. That's the climate change denier. Um, which one? That's the uh, Secretary of – Well, Rick Perry – I don't know, whatever, but <laughs> I'm not gonna get into that. But I, I have a question, and I don't know if either of us touched on it. Can you be like, I don't want to do that. Like if if like the refuse an appointment. Yeah, if yeah, the absolutely. president's like you, I'm like no. Like if Rex Tillerson had decided I would rather stay making millions of dollars as the CEO of Exxon Mobil, he totally could have done that. Right. Like you're not required to do it. It's you know when they when they do the hearings, they say it's an honor to be considered for this position, stuff like okay. that. Most people do. Uh, just because it's a legacy, you know, and it's it's a chance to have some real power in that realm. But I could totally see some people just being like, no, nah, I'd rather just, you know, keep making tons of money and not have the responsibility or the media pressure. Um, so I think that's totally up, up to it. Um, another interesting thing I found out, there are some very big ones that you would think that need a Senate confirmation that don't. Uh, Steve Bannon, who has been a, a source of controversy uh, due to his uh, supposed alt-right leanings, uh, as chief strategist or strategist, however you want to pronounce that, doesn't need Senate uh, confirmation. 
Kellyanne Conway is the counselor, does not. Chief of Staff, um, the Homeland Security Advisor, Press Secretary, uh, White House Counsel, National Security Advisors, they don't require any kind of Senate confirmation. That's just president says, I want you to do it. And if they say, sweet, they're it's in. done. Yeah. Um, so uh, aside from that, um, really the only other thing that kind of is, uh, you know, the checks and balances side of it, the nomination has to be on the executive calendar for more than one day before it can be on the Senate floor for consideration. So if it's deadline and something hasn't been filled or there's been a rejection and he just wants to throw something in, if, you know, it, it, I guess well, there's really not a deadline, though, more or less, because they just right. stay in committee as long as they want. But it needs to be on there. Um, and then uh, unanimous consent of time and date for debate must be agreed on by all senators. So if you want to be a dick, you could be like, I want to do it at 430. Right. And everyone else is like, why don't we just do it at 4? And, you know, so there's... But there's just so many to get through. I'm sure you just... Like, throwing a wrench in the work also throws a wrench in your works. Yeah. Like... And then, um, if a nomination is left pending at the end of Congress, it must be sent back to the president, who then can resubmit the nomination to the new Congress. The same procedure holds true with any nominee not considered before the Senate enters recess of more than 30 days, unless there is unanimous consent to bypass the procedure. So, um, basically, if a nomination isn't sorted out by the time Congress convenes, it has to be resubmitted and start over again. So, which means that sometimes uh, these can be left vacant for huge chunks of the administration if, if mm-hmm. Congress can't agree on something. Um, and then after that, I just got a little bit of uh, interesting trivia. Um, only one cabinet position since 1945 has been con- confirmed by the Senate after being reported as unfavorable by a committee. And that was Henry A. Wallace, uh, who was confirmed by a Senate vote of six, uh, 56 to 32 to become the Secretary of Commerce on March 1st, 1945. Um, and Henry A. Wallace was FDR's vice president. Um, and aside from that, I found that Lyndon B. Johnson was the first Af- uh, American president to name an African-American to his cabinet. Mm. I don't know who that was or what the position was, but bully for him. I, I just now like there's so many. I, this is why I, this is going to be a podcast that goes forever, because <laughs> now I have like a million more questions. Right. Like, it just kind of opens the door. The government bureaucracy in general just goes down forever it's it a never-ending well it, it really things. is and i think that's why it's so easy to mislead people of because we don't know the ins and outs and i think the goal my goal is to know more of the ins and outs i think so you know i think that's important and i think that um in those ins and outs you'll start you know we may even come to an understanding of how certain things have happened or why they do happen or why voters feel disenfranchised the way they do i mean can you imagine if you were trying to get a raise at work and it took a 30-day committee hearing followed by a voting process that someone could potentially filibuster? I mean, it's it's frustrating to want progress in some form and never see it. Mm-hmm. But something else that I wanted to highlight, especially with this, is that you see now just how little power the president himself holds in some of these big decisions. I mean, he presents a nominee and then he has to wait. And sometimes mm-hmm. years before a vacancy can be filled, you know, um, and I think that's important to remember if you are concerned, if you're nervous, if there's frustration belying you during this whole process and the inauguration approaching that the president doesn't have as much power as people make it out to be, as you'll see on 
uh, Facebook as you're reading online. And you have an immense amount of power too by just knowing what's going on. You can make yourself feel so much better. You can really calm some anxiety just by grasping the basic processes that make this work. You can really you can feel better and sleep that night knowing that Trump can't just say, let's put up a wall and then the next day it's going to be built. It's, it doesn't work like that. There's so many bits and pieces to the process. It's, it's fucking mind-numbing, honestly. It is, <laughs> it, it is. I'm kind of mind-dead right now. Oh, yeah. But I still want to know then how, what... You know what we should because do? Because of the nomination process and the appointment process, how do we still have an empty Supreme Court seat? Isn't there? Didn't they make a way? To, I, I'm just very confused. Well, I mean, I remember reading about that. You know, Obama did have. I think there is an opportunity to fill that seat before he leaves the presidency. I I don't know the ins and outs of that, but I know that there's there are ways to do things always. You but know? like the thing of the nuclear option, like. I, I mean, I could say with the Republican controlled like, Congress right now, a, a presidential nominee for justice by Obama would be dead in the water. Right. You know, 100%. well, it is. I mean, yeah, Mayor Garland, yeah. we know we've known since May. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's almost it's, a year. Yeah. It's been a process, you know, um, um, maybe, maybe that's something we should do. But I think a lot of the process for that was people was going, yeah, we don't want to do it. Yeah. And then since there wasn't a majority of people who said we want to do it, we want to go through this process of the appointment process the appointment process just never gets started for yeah. him. And I, you know, maybe that's something we should touch on on each podcast is uh, uh, if we have a question that's presented in the research we do, let's, you know, each pick a question. We'll answer it next week whenever we start the new topic. Just kind of, you know, what we what we talked about and was there something that really you wanted to know that kind of gnawed at you? Uh, we'll figure it out. And uh, that goes doubly for anyone who listens to this too. If you want to know something, we will find out for yeah, you. Yeah, hit us up on our Facebook page. Yeah. Um, and then also make sure to like like us or whatever on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever you're listening to us through. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we uh, we're doing this just as much for you as it is for us. Just let us know that this is helpful for you as well. Yeah, like, and let us know what or, we can do. Or what? We, yeah, what we need to do more. Well, we're we're here to work for the people as far as that goes. Um, even if Congress a podcast going to. by the people for the people and of the people, a hundred percent. And fuck Mars. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>